This is Move to Miami, real estate, lifestyle, family. I'm your host, Adam Zeifer. And I'm your host, Amber Berger. We are Miami natives and the brother-sister duo behind the Zeifer Burger team. We want to take you behind the scenes of different neighborhoods that comprise South Florida's largest real estate boom, especially where we grew up in, Bow Harbor, Bay Harbor Islands, and Surfside. You'll learn the ins and outs of real family life in Miami. From the schools to the parks, the different communities, demand per area, development opportunities, traffic tips, city governance, and more. Welcome, we're very excited to have Seth Salver, the vice mayor of Bell Harbor, which is where Adam and I grew up once upon a time. Yes, uh, that is. And also, Seth and I grew up together. You know, when we moved to Bell Harbor back in 1996, it was a very small town, not a lot of families there. So everybody kind of knew everybody. All the kids hung out with each other. It didn't make a difference if you were one year apart or five years apart, we all hung out. It's nice to uh, be able to introduce Seth Salver Thank you. here. Thank you. It's great to be here with both of you. And um, yeah, I grew up in Bay Harbor. And as Adam was saying, it was a, like, you know, you still kind of have that, but that small town feel was so important. And we lived on a quiet street. We'd always play outside after school and on weekends. And it's something that those memories will be with me forever. And I was so fortunate to grow up here. And, you know, you take it for granted when you go away for college and you can't just walk to the beach anymore, go swimming any day of the year. One of the things that is nice, Amber and I were speaking about the other week, is that Bell Harbor, Bay Harbor, and Surfside, it's all considered one community. However, each town has a little difference to it. Um, they're all very nice. They're very beautiful. But each one has its perks. You have yeah. a very interesting perspective since you grew up in Bay Harbor Islands, but yep. currently live in Bell Harbor and are the vice mayor of Bell Harbor. So could you explain to us a little bit of the differences amongst the different towns, as well as why people should want to move to Bell Harbor? Yeah. So it is one community, but we're, you know, unique in that every like Surfside, Bay Harbor, Bell Harbor, and even Indian Creek, we all have our independent police force. And that really allows our village uh, to really cater to the needs of our residents. And it, in the last two years, we've had some very like high profile people move down to the village. And it, one of the biggest factors that's driving those decisions is the security in the gated community in Bell Harbor, uh, where you guys used to live. That is one of the few hard gates that exist in this part of Miami. And what that means is that if a resident doesn't allow you to enter, you don't have, they, the, the, the guard gate can refuse you entry. And that's something that's different than some of the other islands that just have a gate where they take down your license plate. And I think that's such a great point that you bring yeah. up because I think most people don't realize that there's a lot of so-called fake gates yeah. in Miami where they think, oh, I live in a gated neighborhood. So can you explain the differences and what I believe it's because the they're privately owned streets versus publicly owned streets. So there's a reason why there's only a few neighborhoods in Florida that actually privately own their streets and Bell Harbor is one of them. Yes. I believe Indian Creek is another. Yes. And I think, sure, I think in Dade County, I think that's pretty much it, unless maybe somewhere in South Dade, I don't know, like Cocoa Plum and that area. Mm -hmm. it, it's really interesting because if you go back to the history of when Bell Harbor was created, it was actually in 1954, it was like one of the first master plan communities. 
And it's very interesting because where the residential section is, the homes are, that was all platted. And, you know, you have these beautiful open spaces and on Long Park Drive. And then in the middle there, the, the middle part that goes from where the Oceana is all the way to the marina, that is actually like what gives Bell Harbor its name because Bell Harbor is B-A-L. So it goes from the Bay to the Atlantic. And that is the connection. That's the bridge. Oh, wow. Marina I, I never beach. knew that. Yeah, that's a little Bell Harbor history for you. There we go. Very but, interesting. But when it was created, it was very, you know, they really planned for everything. So they have like the single family homes and they have multifamily low density on the west side of Collins and then within the outskirts of the, the gated area. And then across the street, you have the high rise residential and hotel district. And then where the Bell Harbor shops is now, that used to be, that was platted to be Bell Harbor Square. And that was supposed to be like, there was a, they tell me there was a gas station on the corner of... Wow. Uh, 96 in Harding. Oh, wow. There was supposed to be like a supermarket in there. And then, you know, Bell Harbor shops came in. And as they say, the rest is history. Um, and that's really how a small community of 0.6 square miles was really able to up its profile. And people really know where Bell Harbor is. Yes, I think around growing, the world. <laughs> absolutely. Growing up, I mean, people only knew of Bell Harbor due to the Bell Harbor shops. I mm. mean, we loved walking around there. The open air mall, I think, is so symbolic of Miami yeah. and was a place that we loved to go out. To. I think that's Bell Harbor shops right there. Yes, our main <laughs> picture was taken in Bell Harbor shops. It's really near and dear to our hearts. How would you say as the city and the financials of the city, the benefits of having Bell Harbor shops part of the town to help you know, contribute back into the community. Yes. So though we don't directly um, get any sort of sales tax revenue from the Bell Harbor shops, because unfortunately that all gets pulled into the, the state uh, coffers and then it gets split out amongst uh, like based on population mm -hmm. and we have a smaller population. However, uh, having the Bell Harbor shops in your city just gives it a whole nother level. And I think that's the impetus of what made Bell Harbor what it is today, where you have first class dining, accommodations, shopping, all within a few steps of the Atlantic Ocean. It was just like perfect formula for a destination. And we've benefited from that tremendously. And what other small communities can say they have, you know, St. Regis, the Ritz Carlton, many of the top restaurants in Miami are here. And, uh, you know, it's Bell Harbor and the Bell Harbor shops put us on the map. But then I think as a as a council, you know, I've been elected in Bell Harbor. Um, I'm, this is my ninth year. And uh, we really have just tried to build strategically on our brand. And, you know, yes, people know Bell Harbor for the Bell Harbor shops. But now that they're in Bell Harbor, how do we kind of bring that experience out into the community? Right now, we're really excited. Uh, we're putting the finishing touches on a brand new state of the art 25,000 square foot community center and park complex that's going to be uh, opening, uh, I think, mid-July. You know, I soft open. How big that is! That's yeah. a yeah. large square footage. So, is that open to the entire? If you're a resident of Bell Harbor, yes. not just. I thought it was maybe going to be just for the Bell Harbor Village residents. So no. that's actually wonderful. That it's you're for the whole community. Um, Bell Harbor, that is. You know, as long as you live in Bell Harbor, you'll be able to go in, and you know, Bell Harbor residents will be able to bring guests. <laughs> you know, to what are friends. you going to have there? So the community center is something that we really haven't had a place that, you know, you can take your children indoors, mm -hmm. you know, for a very long time. I mean, they used to have like a little house there that was like the Bell Harbor Library, but um, it wasn't very well attended. And interestingly enough, on the, the property where we just built this park and, and the community center, we used to have our public works offices. Right. And like we would put garbage trucks yes. and all these trucks on waterfront property in like the hottest, you know, area in Miami. And we're like, this doesn't make any sense. So um, right before COVID, everything went crazy. Uh, we actually 
purchased a uh, warehouse space in North Miami and we moved all our public works, trucks, everything out there. And it's, you know, for them, it's like a 12 minute drive to get into the community, which is fine. They do it once in the morning, once in the afternoon. But that really opened up that space and really allowed us to invest in what people want here. And that is, you know, open space where, you know, where you can take your kids, where you can go on a walk. And then the community center was something that we constantly, you know, wanted to be able to do programming for, you know, the young families, children, and even the seniors that live in Bell Harbor. What this space does is the way we've, we've built it, it's very modular. So, um, you know, after school, we'll be able to have, you know, four or five classrooms where they're doing instruction and we're doing surveys on what sort of offerings we want to have, you know, if we want to have like coding or sewing, cooking, you know, all this stuff, you know, we're really kind of leaving it up to the residents to help us pick. And we're going to try everything um, to, you know, try to get enrollment and get people in there. Um, And I don't think it'll be a problem. It's like a brand new building and, you know, it, yeah, and there'll be high demand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're hoping, we're sell hoping. Out fast. The interesting thing that I like about this space is that since we made it modular, you'll also have the ability to rent it out for a birthday or even, a, you know, bar mitzvah or celebration. You know, it, it'll be there. It's going to be an amenity to the community. And when you live in Bell Harbor, we're trying to make you feel like you live in like a private club. And our benefits don't just begin and end in Bell Harbor. You know, we have the Museum Art Access Program where we, you know, the village, whether you're staying in the hotel or you're a resident, you can get a card and then go to the Bass Museum and go to several museums in South Florida, the Rubel Family Collection. I don't know that they're constantly revolving, so I don't know the full list, but that's all on our website. When you live in Bell Harbor, when you're staying in Bell Harbor, you really are connected and you have like kind of like an inside in, into South Florida and everything going on. So you mentioned you have a website. What is the website that people should check out if they're coming to visit or thinking about moving so, to Bell Harbor? Yes. Yeah, so the municipal website is bellharborfl.gov, but that's more really for residents, but it does have everything I just mentioned. And then the um, our tourism site. And that's one of the other things that I know, going back to one of your other questions, our taxes are really low, not just because of the shops, but also because we have the hotels. And we are one of the three municipalities in South Florida in Miami-Dade County that actually collects its own resort tax. Wow. So Surfside, Bell Harbor, and Miami Beach all are able to do that. So on our resort tax site, all about our hotels, restaurants, the Bell Harbor shops, and then all the programs that are available when you're uh, when you're even visiting Bell Harbor. I think it's really nice. I think, you know, the St. Regis coming to town, we used to stay there when I lived in New York mm-hmm. and come down and, you know, felt like coming back home. Yep. Yep. At the end Edwards of the block. Carlton at the very end where the pier is, which is also the start of the beach walk, which yes. is my, one of my favorite parts of yes. Bell Harbor. You know, growing up as a kid, my mom and I used to always go on beach walks, you know, mm-hmm. in the afternoon around sunset um, once it kind of cooled off in the day. How long has it been since that whole beach walk? It's really the start of the path and then it ends all the way down by south of Fifth. Do you know yes. how long that pathway is? Oh, so if you go to South Beach, I think it's like almost seven miles. I wow. Say. Yeah. And it's all just one straight shot. I, I can't say I've walked it all, but I've definitely biked, biked it a it, couple yes. of times. <laughs> it's more bikeable. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And um, our path, the way it is now, I think we redeveloped it in 2009. And it's actually one of the things we're looking at um, in the future, you know, we're constantly investing in our infrastructure because at the end of the day, just because we're a 76 year old community doesn't mean we have to look like we're an old community. A- and the the jetty that you're referring to, you know, right at, you know, the cutwalk, um, that is also a very unique feature that Bell Harbor is fortunate to have because, you know, along the coast in Miami-Dade, the only other cutwalk is where the Port of Miami is. Mm-hmm. This is something that was actually, you know, 
built by the Army Corps of Engineers in the 50s as a navigational necessity because they had to be able to to put the, you know, structurally build the jetty out for boat traffic and safety and to control all that. You know, we've been wanting to redevelop it because it's really one of the most beautiful, like naturally beautiful parts of Val Harbor where it's actually interesting that when you go to the end of that pier, the jetty, we call it, you have the beacon there, but you're actually able to turn around and then see the whole Val Harbor behind yeah. you and still be on land, which is really cool. Knowing that and knowing that so many people, you know, that are coming from the south walking north, that's really like where it, where it ends. Um, we wanted to really do something special. And right now, you know, I, I walk there almost every every weekend uh, with my kids. And it's like you get there and like there's this amazing view. You have the bay, the Atlantic all coming together and boats and fisher fi fishermen and all this stuff. But there's really nowhere to sit. And that was really what drove, you know, as a council, I'm one of five. You know, we're saying like we have this amazing, you know, area in our community, but like it's so difficult to enjoy. It's like if you want to sit, you have to like sit on the pier and, you know. That's a good point. So that it, with, it started with that, like there's nowhere to sit. And then it's like, well, let's kind of relook at this organically and. We ended up uh, getting a an architect out of uh, Boston, Mick Young Kim, who's done some projects here in South Florida. And for her, uh, you know, when, when we when when I met with her, and you know, we all had individual meetings, it was about how do you connect to the ocean mm -hmm. and to the sky and to the beach and to the sand. And it's you know, it's an amazing design. It's it's on our website as well. Oh, great! Um, and uh, you'll be able to see it. And uh, we're bidding it out right now. So we're hoping within you know. 24 to 36 months it'll be done but that'll be a really exciting thing yeah That's so very exciting i think that you know bell harbor for those that didn't really know that much about it pre-covid was really such a nice refuge for people especially i think that beach walk you know for bell oh, harbor be and surfside every afternoon right it was a way people could get outside and get some fresh air and get some exercise. And you exactly. saw kids learning how to ride their bikes. Mm -hmm. I, actually, one of our best friends' son learned how mm -hmm. to ride his bike on that path. Mm -hmm. So in the uh, community center that's being built right yes. now, we have a lot of clients that have families. So it's perfect for kids. What will they see and what will they expect when they get to the community center? Is there going to be a basketball court? Is there a splash pad, a pool? What what activities will the children have? Yeah, so our park is going to have play areas for every age. In the actual indoor part of the community center that borders where the playground is, there's going to be a like infant playroom. You know, oftentimes we we take our, lar our bigger kids to the park and then the babies are kind of stuck in the stroller. And that was something that we got in feedback with talking to the community and the moms um, said that, you know, for young children, there's really no place to take them. So it's going to be an indoor space that's going to have the same theme as the outdoor playground. It's going to be air conditioned, obviously shaded. You know, you'll be able to have, you know, young children playing indoors and then the moms are able to look out the window and then see their they're bigger kids. I have a two-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter. Exactly. So that sounds perfect. I can have my daughter playing outside while I'm inside in the AC. I'm not swaying too much <laughs> and watching my son play around. Exactly. And then right behind, so there's going to be a, you know, younger kid outdoor area. And then there is a, a larger, you know, probably six, seven-year-olds. Um, there'll be like a big slide and playground. And it's very interesting. Like everything we do in Bell Harbor is by design. And we... We're not impressed with the designs we were getting uh, for playground equipment from just these conventional vendors. So we actually went out and found this design firm in Denmark, <laughs> Monstrum, and they designed, they custom designed our place playground um, based on, you know, the feedback that we had gotten from the community. And we're, that's something that you can actually see it now if you drive by. 
it's very unique and um, we're really hoping that the kids are going to enjoy it because it's certainly beautiful to look at. And uh, if you don't invest in these sort of things for the community, then, you know, what are we what are we paying taxes for? Because at the end of the day, you want to be able to live in a place, enjoy it with your family. And, and that's what this is about. Um, and there is a splash pad right behind where the playground is. So don't worry. Beautiful. <laughs> for those and hot then, summer days. And it's South Florida. So this uh, community center and playgrounds right on the water. Yes. Um, I noticed that there's a dock on yes. uh, the back end of the community center. Can you explain to us what are the plans there? Uh, yes. And this is thank you for bringing that up, Adam, because this is another thing that we got. It's like, you know, we're a oceanfront, waterfront community, but yet so many people don't have access to the water. Um, so we wanted to build a dock that is user friendly, but at the same time, you know, we have several, uh, gates that, you know, children won't be able to just run out into the water. Um, but we want to be able to give our community a way to access the waterways. Um, so we're actually able to get a grant from the state of Florida to build a, a, a special dock, um, where you can drop, uh, paddle boards and smaller craft like kayaks, canoes, stuff like that. And for those that don't own their own equipment, we're actually going to have uh, within the park a rental going to be unattended. And we're going to see how that works. And if if it's really po- if it's really successful, then we might get an attended uh, rental provider where you'll be able to rent a paddleboard or other gear and actually just drop in right there. So the Bow Harbor is basically offering the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. You have the beach that you could go play with. Yes. And then you also have the bay that you could put your paddle boards in or canoes and mm-hmm. you could uh, explore on uh, the bay uh, waterway mm-hmm. as well, which is very nice. Yeah. Adam and I love paddle boarding. So it's so exciting to see that both, you know, Surfside and Bow Harbor are starting to have these launch pads for people yes. to really be able to enjoy the bay, you know, unless you had a boat before, you never really got in the water that much. Um, and it's really nice to be able to introduce the kids to that at a young age, you know, just from an activity level. I think exactly. it's really important. Yeah. And we will have basketball, you know, Bell Harbor Park was always famous for its basketball court. Should yep. Sunday, mo- Sunday morning games. I grew <laughs> up on those games. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so very nice. So we'll have a basketball court, a splash pad, slide. So it seems like it will, yeah, this and, community and center, open, you guys thought of everything. You're going to have everything. Yes. And an open grassy area that, you know, for running and, you know, eventually we'll be able to program it and have, you know, movie nights and all sorts of fun activities. Great. Really nice space to bring the community together. Yes. One of the things real quickly that I wanted to go back to was um, the walking path and the hard path area uh, on the beach. I know that you guys do movie night some nights. Yes. Uh, you guys also do different activities for the residents. Can you speak upon some of those activities that you do on the beach? Yes. Yeah, so one of the highlights of the last few years, um, I think it started around our 75th anniversary. We wanted to give people a reason to come to the beach that wasn't necessarily to get in the water. We offer uh, classical music concerts uh, on a monthly basis on the beach, you know, towards the evenings on Saturdays and Sundays, uh, depending on the month. And um, it's just another way to bring people together. We live in a beautiful area, but oftentimes like, you know, I'm sure we're guilty of it too. It's like you live on the beach or, and when was the last time you were really there, you know, to enjoy it. And um, so we want to be able to give people reason to come out, get together. And um, through the South Florida Symphony, we've been able to offer these, this concert series. And it's been just a tremendous uh, outpouring people love it we also do movie night and it's a another way that it's like in other communities that do movie nights you know they like bring your own blankets and chairs and this and that but the bow harbor experience is all about 
uh, catering to our residents and guests. And so we will bring, you know, couches on the beach. Oh, we wow. have during the winter, I went to a couple of them. We have hot chocolate. We have ice cream sometimes in the summer. It's just, it's really a, a great experience if you've never gone to one of them. And it's, we really do everything five star. Well, Harbor. it is one of the things that differentiates itself from other towns that Bell Harbor is known to have high profile and high end residents, and you need to be able to accommodate them with five star amenities as well. Mm -hmm. So it's really nice to hear that Bell Harbor keeps up with their tradition. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really bringing the community together. I think because there's so many condos on the ocean, some people might think, oh, just live in the building. But, you know, through the town, you guys are really bringing together the community so you can meet people that live in other buildings. Exactly. And then you can walk. I think as teenagers, especially what's really nice, like Adam says, that you can go walk to the shops, go get a bite to eat, go walk home. It's a really nice walking town where you yeah. can eat, shop, go to school you go to school nearby, yeah. see your friends. So one of the things, Seth, that we notice as being active real estate agents in Bell Harbor is there's so much diversity. There are people from everywhere that are purchasing properties in Bell Harbor. I know we have a ton of Canadians that are, are purchasing properties. We have a ton of people from the Northeast. We have a ton of people from South America, from Argentina, Brazil, um, Chile, you name it. They're in Bell Harbor. So what could you say upon the diversity that's in your town? Yeah, I think it's for, for a small community. I mean, we have registered voters, just under 1,900 registered voters. They, they estimate our population during you know its peak to be around four, between four and 5,000 people, including hotel guests. But we are known around the world as like a, being a five-star destination that has just attracted so many other people from different parts of the world, really, to Bell Harbor. And it's an amazing melting pot. You know, you go to the shops and you see young families, South Americans, Europeans, and it's something that really makes Bell Harbor unique. And it's part of that whole experience that you get where you really feel like you're in like one of the world's capitals. Absolutely. I think from an investing uh, standpoint, you know, Bell Harbor has always been very high end. And because of the diversity that's mm -hmm. there, I think that'll always help the neighborhood to maintain its value. Yeah. So there's been a lot of exciting new developments going on in the neighborhood. We saw that there's an expansion to the Bell Harbor shops. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about what they have created? I saw that there's a new parking lot. Yes. <laughs> very important. So it's very interesting because I've gotten this question a lot. Like, why did they build the parking before they expanded the shops? But the, the trick is that where they're going to be building their expansion, it's where the old garage was. So you can't demolish the old garage till you have the new garage. So we have this beautiful five-star garage right now. And uh, we're looking forward um, to the rest of the project taking place. They're going to be adding new inline retail, lots of restaurants that people are excited, lots of names. I, I don't have the list and I know it's changing constantly, but, um, you know, in my conversations with the Bell Harbor shops, you know, they are pretty much all sold out in terms of their space. And they're looking for that to come online within the next 24 months. So that's exciting. So we also have a new, uh, high, a uh, new development, um, the revive. going up. Yes. Very the revive in Bell Harbor. So the Carlton Terrace that's going to be, uh, demolished was pretty much the oldest building, one of the oldest buildings in Bell Harbor. And, you know, I think it had served its purpose. It was a very unique building. Um, and it's coming down and it's interesting because normally when you have these older buildings coming down, you, you hear of, you know, they're going to, replace 88 units, which is what how many units the, the Carlton had with 150 units, you know, some crazy number. And one of the things that impressed us when we were approving the plans uh, for the Ravage, they're actually putting in less units 
than the Carlton Terrace had. You know, they're going, I think now to, it's going to be under 60 because some of the units are going to be doubled. You know, the renderings, I don't know if you've had a chance they're to look beautiful. at They're beautiful. I think what's really nice, what they're doing is we have a lot of families who have, you know, four kids, three plus at least. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to live in an apartment, sometimes it's hard to find the space because a lot of the buildings are older and they weren't meant for a large family. So if you mm -hmm. like that condo living, ultra luxury lifestyle living with amenities and services, the Ravage is definitely a place to check out because it can definitely accommodate a large family size. Yep. And I think right now there's only a few buildings that do offer large square footage uh, in their units. And it's nice to have the Rivage come. The price point is it's very high at this point <laughs> here. I believe it's starting at seven million dollars yeah. and going all the way up to 20 plus with the demand. People give the supply. So there is the demand. Uh, Bell Harbor is super unique. It's unlike any other town or city in South Florida. And because of that, you have developers that are investing in the town to bring in those um, high end uh, properties. Right. And I think speaking of price point, you know, maybe as a local Floridian, the price points seem high. But when you're coming from New York City, the price per square foot is actually either in line or you feel like you're getting a bargain because you're getting more space and you're living on the ocean versus you know, on cement city. Exactly. One awesome. of the things Amber and I have talked about a lot because Amber lived in New York for 20 years and I stayed in South Florida the entire time is that people from outside the state have a different perspective of value on properties than locals. And it's nice to have that yin and yang between us where at times I may think something is super expensive starting at $7 million. That sounds like a high price point to me. However, coming from New York, you realize that that that's an average that's unit. That's bread and butter. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's what the average Everything unit is costs. relative. Huh? Exactly. So relative. everything is relative. Uh, one thing that we did speak about with the mayor of Surfside um, was after the collapse and, and the tragedy that happened in that town. As a neighboring town, what has Bell Harbor done to ensure that all the residents feel safe in their condominiums. Yeah, so one of the first things that we did um, after that tragedy was our building official went and made a site visit to every single building on the ocean. Because, you know, everything, you know, all the reports were coming out. We had no idea what the cause was, but, you know, everyone's goal is to make sure something like this never happens again. For our residents, there was no cost associated with this. Literally went up and down every building, down to the garage, up to the roof, and just, you know, there's so, something so important to just look with that in mind, you know, look for fatigue, look for rebar, exposed rebar, and all this sort of stuff. And that was something we did, and we assured our residents that everything was safe for um, all our buildings. And obviously, the 40-year recertification, which was the, the old standard um, prior to the county making its change in the state of Florida, uh, making their legis legislative changes as well, when you're on the ocean, with the salt air, that wasn't enough. You know, now that there's the new 25 year regime, I think it's something that, you know, just if you, it's almost like a see something, say something. You know, now I was getting calls from residents, even in newer buildings, um, like, hey, there's like leaking in my garage. You know, should I say something? Say something? You know, should, you, <laughs> should I like tell the village? I was like, absolutely. You know, we are, we are the ones that are there every day. We're the ones that live there. We're the ones that sleep there. Our children sleep in these buildings. So, they need to be safe and they are safe, you know, with these inspections and, you know, the new the new process. 
Um, my building just went through the 40 year certification because we were in that process already. And, you know, when we got that letter that everything is, is good, that was a relief for many people. That was a relief for many people. And, um, and we were constantly investing in these buildings and you have to, you're on the ocean, you're in South Florida. Yeah. It's great. I think, um, what's important about being in a city that people are keeping their eyes and ears open is that sense of safety. So yeah. I think for anybody that's looking for that community feel and knowing that it's a small town, that things aren't getting looked over or paid under the table, oh, no, it yeah. says a lot because there was a lot of that back in the day in Miami. Yeah. And for when these buildings were built, you know, in the seventies and eighties, that was the that wild was, South. I yeah. Think. <laughs> no, there more. are movies about that era in Miami, right? Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. So I think I wanted to highlight, you mentioned that Bay, Bal Harbor has their own police force, yes. as well as I know Bay Harbor and Surfside. So can you tell us a little bit about how attentive the police force is? If you were to call them, do you know how quick the response time is? Yes, actually, we just got a briefing on this, uh, I think a month or two ago. Our response time is under a minute. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> So I think um, people don't realize safety is a really yes. big concern in Miami. Maybe when you're coming from other towns, you know, Miami's so pretty. So you think, oh, it's fine. But we definitely make a lot of headlines. You know, safety should be, I think, a top priority. We really advise our clients to think about safety matters when they're choosing where to live. Yeah. So. And you can't be anywhere within the, the village boundaries and not see a police car drive by. Being vice mayor, you still also have a day job. Yeah. And what is your day job? I'm a CPA. I'm an accountant here. So we wanted to discuss about your main job as a CPA. Yes. And a lot of our clients happen to be relocating to town. So why would you say it's important to get a local CPA if you are thinking about moving from out of state? Especially for those coming from New York. I think that's the trend that we've seen a lot around here. I certainly have seen it in my practice. The New York Department of Revenue um, has an actual checklist that they go through when they determine if someone is a, a New York resident despite living in Florida. And one of those checklists is where are your financial records? Do you have a Florida CPA? So that's one of the first things. And it's really an easy thing to do um, when you're showing New York uh, that you no longer live there is, yeah, I, I moved. It's really good if you're, you know, for you to actually even. You know, if you still maintain a home there to rent it out, really show that you are not living there at all. Mm -hmm. What's um, that date that they need to move by for tax uh, implications? It's coming up. Yeah, you have to be out of there by June 30th. Otherwise, you're going to be considered a New York resident once you spend 183 days in the state of New York. All right. So people pay attention. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. If you guys are thinking about moving, let's get to it. Yes, exactly. By moving before the, the midway point in the year, you're only going to pay tax on your New York source income. Whereas if you come after, you're going to have to be you're going to have to pay tax as a resident the full year. Um, and so going back to, you know, what I do. And um, yeah, so we advise clients because uh, not only that, like moving to Florida, there's a lot of benefits here that you get, even though we don't have state income tax. Uh, thankfully, um, we have homestead exemption. That's another thing that, you know, Florida CPAs are are good at doing. And that's something that allows you to get a lower tax rate if this is going to be your primary residence. And that's something that's very important because those that got homestead exemptions before all the prices went up um, are now paying taxes based on the old rates because when you're homesteaded, your property value doesn't go up by more than 3% per year, regardless of what's actually happening in the market. Mm -hmm. If for you know small business owners or for people that have their own businesses to make sure that by leaving New York, you know, they're not, they only, they can't, 
they have to also move their businesses down here. And that's something that's important to have a local CPA that knows how to do the registration in the state of Florida with the county and, you know, register for sales tax if it's a retail type business. And it's really important to get the right advice up front because I've seen so many situations where, you know, they didn't necessarily make those moves in advance and then have had to backpedaling. Exactly. That's always harder. Much harder. So one of the things, not only do I use Seth for my personal taxes, (laughs) We also recommend Seth and his uh, his family firm to our clients as well. We just had a closing uh, two weeks ago on mm-hmm. one of our properties that we have for sale, mm-hmm. and our client was from out of the country. And so with clients that are out of the country, there are tax implications. Uh, Seth, would you be able yes. to talk upon uh, that experience that, that we had? Exactly. Yeah. So another thing that people don't know, you know, it's very easy to come to the United States from abroad and invest here in this country. And that's one of the beautiful things that makes America, America, you know, it's open for investment and for all this stuff. The problem is, though, when you sell as a foreigner, there's a lot of tax consequences in doing that. And that's another thing, you know, it's always better to plan these things in advance. So if you are dealing with a foreign client, you know, whether they're Canadian or from Europe or South America, it's really important that they structure their investment appropriately because making those decisions upfront allow them to save on tax when they go to sell. Obviously, when someone's buying, they're not thinking of selling, but it's something that inevitably will happen one way or the other. So so in um, our case, we had a seller yes. that's from Amsterdam. Yeah. He, he was selling his property and he needed to know exactly what the steps were to sell the property after we got into contract. Mm-hmm. So we connected him with Seth and Seth, what did he need to do and what did you need to set him up in order for that transaction to close smoothly? Exactly. So the U.S. government has this law that was enacted in the 80s, basically requires the title company, the attorney that's handling the closing to withhold 15 percent of the gross sale price on a real estate transaction when the seller is foreign, because this is a seller that wasn't registered. They had no reason to be. I mean, they have no tax ID number. It was in their personal name in order. But yet they're selling this property and then can can potentially take all these funds and the proceeds from the sale, which, you know, obviously anyone selling today is pretty much making a nice a nice gain. You know, they're able to just take their money out and not pay any tax. So in order to prevent that, the U.S. government requires 15 percent of the gross sale price to be withheld, which could be a big number, Mm -hmm. especially someone that's owned this apartment for, you know, 20 years or so. They have a big gain there. So what we had to do is we had to get him uh, registered uh, with the IRS by applying. You know, we all have socials as residents. For non-residents, there's an ITIN. It's like a a tax identification Mm -hmm. number that's structured like a social, but it starts with a nine. So that's how they differentiate it. And by by applying, doing all this up front, we're able to apply that 15% withholding to the social with the IRS so that when this gentleman goes to file his tax return next year, Everything's going to be clean and he'll hopefully get most of that money back because even though we're, they're withholding at 15 percent, the tax rate that foreigners pay is the same as U.S. persons. So it's going to be a long term capital gain, you know, 15 to 20 percent tax and it'll be done. And so moral of the story, <laughs> Seth was able to get everything done in a timely manner. We had a happy client. They were happy with us. They were happy with their CPA. So, you know, it's all about who you know and making sure that you use the proper professionals to do your business. Absolutely. And what about when it comes to a 1031 exchange? We have a lot of clients who are, you know, selling and they need to, you know, 
put the money back into the market? What is some you know specifications that somebody should think about and look at? Yeah, so a 1031 exchange is really a great vehicle. Um, you know, this all started when people just didn't want to sell their business property or you know their per, their yeah that's one of the limitations sorry with the 1031 it, it has to be business use but you you had these situations where these properties would have huge gains and then you would basically be stuck in that property and in order to to buy a new property uh you know you'd have to sell this one and then pay a huge tax bill and then you would only be able to buy a property that's worth half of what your old property was so this was instituted um by the the u.s government and the trick with the 1031 it's very simple the trick with the 1031 is if you're selling for a certain amount, that full amount, your full proceeds have to be reinvested in the new property to really get the full benefit. You can defer your tax to zero. You know, you, let's say you just use round numbers. You have a property you pay 200000 for. You're going to sell it for a million. That's an $800,000 gain that you would normally have to pay, you know, 23.8% tax on at the highest bracket. By taking that full million dollars, investing in a new property, you haven't paid any tax and you have a brand new property. So one of the things that a lot of people ask is mm -hmm. they sell property for a million dollars. Do they have to purchase something for a full million dollars or is it after all the net income that they're receiving from? That's one of the quirks with the 1031. You have to reinvest the full proceeds in order to get the benefit. Right. Because any dollar that you take out of the deal is going to be a dollar of profit. It's not going to be a portion based on your capital. It's not like you can take out 200,000 because that property originally I paid 200,000. If you take out 200,000, that's going to be 200,000 of income profit you're going to be paying tax on. Right. And it's important to make sure if someone is thinking of doing a 1031 to have them reach out um, to a qualified intermediary in advance because the minute someone receives those proceeds into their personal or business account, the show's over because you've already gotten the proceeds and you can't do the reinvestment. And in order to do a 1031 exchange, how much time do they have till they're able to uh, select their next property that they're going to purchase? Yes. So before you've sold the, the property you're relinquishing, you have all the time in the world. The clock starts ticking when you have closed on the property you're selling. Then you have 45 days to identify. To identify up to three properties, I believe. Yes, up to three properties. But there's ways around that depending on the value that you're reinvesting. And then you have 180 days to close from the initial date that you sold the other property. So you closed on one property and then you have 180 days yeah. until you can then close on the new property. You have that to close investing. before 180 days in order for it to still be a linked transaction. So the two main numbers to think about is 45 days from the time that yes. you close that you need to select a possible property to purchase. You have 180 days to actually close on that property. Exactly. That's 1031 in a nutshell. Well, we want to thank you so much, Vice Mayor, for coming with us today and letting us know a little bit more about Battle Harbor and all the exciting things that are coming on in the next year or two. Can't wait to visit the community center thank you, when yeah. that's finished. Once the park opens, I'll be happy to show you guys around. Thank you, Seth. I will take advantage of those guest passes that you so graciously <laughs> offered to me and uh, look forward to our kids playing together in that playground. Thank you. Thank you. Looking forward. <laughs>